Good morning. And uh, Bill wrote me midweek and said, I don't think you've ever preached to Easter, and I feel like you're supposed to preach. I think you have a word. And I'm like, it's so good because I had this word about the Easter bunny, and I've been carrying it for years. <laughs> so I finally get to share it, and you're going to really like it. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. For those of you that were streaming, that's a joke. So, well, he is risen, and you say... That's so awesome. Beautiful time this morning. Well, um, can you pray? Can you grab a hand at the same time you're passing the bags there? I guess not, huh? You just pass it with your teeth. That's what my dog does. <laughs> grab a hand. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We bless what you're doing in this season in our lives, in every season in our lives. We embrace every season of life. And we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the cross. Amen. Now, if you want to date the person that you're sitting next to, listen, I, just, I know I, was, I need to give up on this, but this, I'm, I'm resurrecting it again today because it was almost dead. Just squeeze the hand of the person next to you if you want to date them. And listen, think about it. You could be resurrecting your relationships right at this very moment. This could lead to be fruitful and multiply. It could just be beautiful. Amen. Well, okay, you can let go of hands now. Well, I get to, get to share about the resurrection today. And, you know, I was uh, thinking, how many of you were at the Friday, Good Friday service? How many of you got to go to that? Was that amazing? It's really beautiful. And Eric and a, a bunch of the, the city leaders put that on and really awesome. And it's really difficult to talk about the resurrection without talking about the cross, right? How many know that God made a covenant with us, and the first covenant that God made, obviously God wanted all of us to have full access to him. In Exodus 19, God says, Tell my people that if they obey my commandments and keep my word, they shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for my own possession. And Moses comes down to the people with this beautiful word that God wants you all to be a kingdom of priests. He, all, he wants you to be a royal priesthood. Wouldn't that have been beautiful if, the royal, if royalty was birthed Back, way back during the days of Moses. But Moses comes down with this beautiful message from the Father, and the people say, hey, no, God scares us. Uh, we, we'll do what he says, but we don't actually want a relationship with him. So you tell, they basically say to Moses, tell God to tell us whatever he wants us to do, and we'll do it, but you speak to us for God. And um, God goes, okay, you want a relationship based on rules? I'll give you rules. And the Old Testament had 212 laws. Keep all of these laws, God basically said, and you can have a great relationship with me. Well, by the time we get to Isaiah, which is 500 years before Jesus, Isaiah cries out, there's none righteous, not even one. How many of you know that God made a covenant with man? We call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. So a covenant is on to death. When God wanted to change the covenant, what did God have to do? Well, if a covenant is on to death, then God has to die. So God made a covenant with who? He made it with man. He made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. And God wanted to change the covenant. So God had to become a man, die as a man. How many know when Jesus died, he died as a man and he died as God? 
He died as God because how many know that God wanted to change the covenant, so God had to die? He died as man because he made a covenant with man, so how many know when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose into what? A new covenant. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose, he created, if you will, he made a new covenant. Thus we take communion. What's the object of communion? Obviously to remember what? What side of the cross we live on. We live in a new covenant. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 is an example. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be like your Father in heaven, who makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In the Old Covenant, how many understand that God said, go into the land and kill all of your enemies? But how many know we live in a new covenant? In a new covenant, God says, love your enemies. And by the way, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he said, this is exactly what God's doing. He makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. How many know in the Old Covenant, God withheld the rain when people served other gods? Look it up for yourself. I think it's Deuteronomy 28. God said, if you serve other gods, it will not rain. But in the New Covenant, God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. How many know the, the covenant that Jesus made on the cross didn't just benefit believers, it actually benefits the world because God actually makes it rain on the righteous? And the unrighteous. Isn't that beautiful? That, that loving your neighbor isn't just for Christians. It's we get to the covenant that God made with the earth actually changed the way God not views the earth, but because of the cross. How I many know oh, God created justice through judgment so God could release mercy? See, Jesus, how I many know that Jesus sits, God sits on a mercy seat, but the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. So God wanted to release mercy, but how many know he has to create righteousness and justice? If God released, if God, it'd be like this, if, if, uh, if Tom killed my brother and we went before Bill the judge. Doesn't Bill look judge? judge? I was going to say judgmental, but that's not at all what I meant. I kind of meant like noble. I meant noble. How, whoo, boy, when your boss is sitting in the front row, you don't want to say judgmental. And he went before the judge, and the judge said, oh, and, and you know, Tom killed my brother, and he goes before the judge, and, and the judge says, oh, yes, Tom, Tom Crandall, yes, oh, no, oh, Tom, I played golf with your dad. Go free. How many know that's mercy? But it's not justice. Fox News does all of these news programs often on judges that release pedophiles and release child molesters and release people they give mercy to people, but there's no justice. And they go, oh, they did two weeks and they got out. And we're all like, no, we need justice. Well, how many know that God's the one that put justice in you? So that's justice, but it's not. So that's mercy, but it's not justice. So Tom's mom steps in and said, I will die for him. And she, the, the judge looks, Mrs. Crandall, Mrs. Crandall, Mrs. Crandall. Hmm. I'm sorry, you can't die for Tom because you owe for your sins. By the way, you're a fugitive. How many know all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death? You can't die for Tom because you owe for your own. You're actually a fugitive. You're on death row. And then, and then the son of the judge steps into the throne room and says, into the, into the, the judge's chambers and said, Father, I will die for them. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. He looks. He doesn't, 
He's never sinned. So how many know the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God in Christ Jesus is life eternal. The judge looks and Jesus never sinned. He doesn't have to die for his sins, so he can die for yours. Jesus dies for the sins of Tom and every Tom and every Mary and every person in the world. He dies for our sins. So how many know God creates justice through Jesus on the cross? So now God can release mercy without being a crooked judge. This is the new covenant. That Jesus, that God creates mercy through justice. See, nobody can say, oh, you let, you let Chris Valentin go without a sentence. Oh, yeah, I let Chris go because all of what Chris did is on my son. And so Jesus, who would have never died, dies for me so that justice was not cheap. It cost I think we say it this way sometimes. We, God bankrupted heaven to create justice for you. So nobody could say to God, oh, that's cheap grace. Oh, no, no. Cost God his son. So how many know that's Friday? <laughs> but Sunday's coming. Are you with me? So God, you, you know, when Jesus died on the cross... I love it. I, I was listening to somebody else preach, and I asked, frankly, I'd give him credit, but I don't remember who it was. He said, <laughs> I hear so many messages every week, so we all do. Sometimes I quote myself and think I'm quoting somebody else. <laughs> somebody said, then I realized, like, that was me. I thought that up. Somebody said, if the devil would have known what was happening on the cross, he would have killed everybody who was trying to kill Jesus. Because what he didn't know is that when he, Jesus got to the cross, see, the devil thought he was leading them to the cross, but Jesus, see, Jesus, Pilate said, I, I, you know, do you not know I have power to let you go? And Jesus like, no, you actually don't. <laughs> you're just actually a pawn in this thing that happened before the foundation of the world because Jesus was crucified from the foundation of the world. <laughs> Pilate's law, don't you know I have the power to let you go? No, actually that power got taken away about mm, some millions of years ago. You cannot, and then it says, and Pilate tried to let him go and then figured out that he was actually just playing right into God's hand. And Judas, you know, and the devil, he's like, he... How many of you know the devil is brilliant, but he's kind of stupid? He talks Judas into, you know, betraying Jesus, and he doesn't even know, like, all of this is, a, he's, it's in about three days, Jesus is about to end up in hell. And go, the keys. I'm here for the keys. Now. Like, right now, I'll take the keys. How many of you know God gave authority to the earth through Adam and Adam gave it to the devil because how many know God said don't eat the tree the devil said eat the tree how many know Adam changed God's when he obeyed the devil and disobeyed God he didn't just disobey God he obeyed the devil so how many know when Jesus was born as a man the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God so Jesus dies on the cross. He's dead three days. He goes in to Sheol, right? And he gets the keys from the devil. 
Because remember the devil said all authorities, he said, I'm sorry, he said to Jesus, that was Jesus actually, whew, I know, quoted, gave that quote to the wrong guy right there. Let's not do that again. When the devil was tempting Jesus in Luke, in Luke chapter 4, he said, If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, for they have been handed over to me. Who handed them over to him? Adam. Who got them back? Jesus. So Jesus dies. He creates justice through judgment. He gets to release mercy. He's three days dead. Where is he at in three days? He's in Sheol. What's he doing down there? Two things. He's getting the keys back. And secondly, he's releasing all the prison doors. How many understand that when Jesus died and went into Sheol for three days, he went from a time zone, earth, to a timeless zone? Because God created time. Genesis chapter 1, remember this? God separated the light from the darkness and called it a day. How many understand time's a created thing? God doesn't live in time. God lives outside of time. The spirit world doesn't live in time. That's why there's no day or night in heaven because that has to do with time and God doesn't live in time. So when Jesus died on the cross, he went from a time zone, come on, to a timeless zone. What's that mean? It means that he took all the captives captive according to Ephesians chapter 4 and he took them to heaven. Are you with me? How do you know when Jesus rose from the dead, and we're, we're going to get there in a minute, and he came out of the grave, he was on his way to heaven with all of those who were dead in the grave. How do we know that? Because he stopped to talk to Mary, and it says, and many of the dead, many of those who rose with him, walked the earth. You know how women like to talk. I think they saw her and Jesus talking, they're like, this could take a while. Mary reached out to touch Jesus. You'll remember the story. He reached, she reached out to touch him. What does he say to her? Don't touch me, for I have not yet to ascend to my father and to your father. But eight days later, Thomas, who have just, who's just been told by Mary that Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I won't believe it unless I see it myself, unless I touch his hands. And Jesus walks to the door. How many know Jesus never uses the door after the resurrection because he is the door? You're like, I have no opportunity. Do you live with Jesus? Yes, you have a door. When you, like, when you knock on that door, that's the door of opportunity. It's the door of blessing. It's the door of healing. It's the door of restoration. How many understand Jesus is a door? You don't have a job. Well, you need to knock on doors. Well, actually, you just need to knock on one. Because Jesus is the door. He walks through the wall. He says, Thomas, right here, buddy. Give me five. Let's make it ten. To Mary, he says, don't touch me. To Thomas, he says, touch me. Why? Because he catches Mary on the way up. But how many know he came back? Forty days. Walked the earth. But here's my point. When Jesus rose from the dead, it says that he took all those who were in Abraham's bosom, the, the righteous, you know, Sheol had... Hades, which wasn't hell, it was the holding place for hell. And Abraham's bosom, it was the holding place for the righteous. Jesus goes down into the holding place for, of the righteous in Sheol, the place of the living dead. He rises from the dead. He takes all the saints that are in the, 
in that place with him, and he takes them to heaven, and he seats them in heavenly places. When were you seated in heavenly places? How many know you were seated with him in heavenly places before the foundation of the world? You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So how many know when, you, when Jesus came out of the grave and took the saints with him, you were there? You said, I wasn't born yet. Yes, but remember, he went from a time zone to a timeless zone. And that's why Romans 8 says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. Why is Christ in you the hope of glory? Because you are already glorified. Because he predestined you, he foreknew you, he knew you'd choose him before you did. How do you know that? In his world, it's already over. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Jesus died. Jesus, the lamb was crucified before the foundation of the world. How many understand you can have confidence in your salvation because he chose you before the foundation of the world? So whom he foreknew, he predestined. You mean God made me serve him? No, he just knew you would. How does he know that? Because God doesn't live in time. So he went to, before the creation of the world, he went to 1973. In July of 1973, he said, there's a young man named Chris Felt, and he will choose me. I choose him first. <laughs> whom he foreknew, he predestined. And how many know that when, you, when Jesus rose from the grave, you rose with him? That's just a good word right there. Now, we haven't gotten to the grave yet, so let's go there. <laughs> John chapter 20. Why don't you turn there and let's talk about the grave story. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had already been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. I love this. This is John's depiction of the resurrection. And you'll notice that John says three things about himself. He runs faster than Peter. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I forget the third one. <laughs> anyway, it was three. It'll come to me. And she ran and told the... Uh, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple, the other disciple, isn't it funny? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all call him John. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I say humbly that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. The connotation is the other 11, not so much. <laughs> they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. <laughs> you think you have staff problems. Anyway, they've taken away the Lord. <laughs> People are like, oh, Christians are so competitive. I mean, Jesus had the same issues in the Gospels. Listen to this. So they have taken away the Lord. Don't know, no, no. Oh, so Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Like, well, that's a detail we all needed to know. <laughs> and, you know, John's the one that writes in the last chapter of his book, if all the, de all the miracles that Jesus did were written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. So you think, you know, John's writing down only things that he thinks are relevant. And John got there first. And stooping in, he saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he did not go in. 
So Peter also came, following, following, keyword, following him, and entered the tomb and saw the linen wrapping there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up in another place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered and saw and believed. For as yet it, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so, she was, so, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels. Maybe if the boys weren't competing, they would have saw angels too. <laughs> I don't know. She saw two angels in white, one at the head and one at the feet of where the body of Jesus once lied. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Where, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have yet to ascend to your father. But go to my brethren and say, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have sent I've seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her and he said the, and that he had said these things to her so when it was evening on that day the first day of the week and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them peace be with you when he had said this he showed them both his hands and his side and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord so Jesus said to them again peace be with you as the father sent me i also send you when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, their sins are retained. This is such a great passage. When Jesus died on the cross, on the third day, he rose from the grave. And how many understand that Jesus didn't just die for you? He died as you. See, if Jesus just died for you, that would have taken care of your sins. But because he died as you, how many understand that he rose from the grave and he didn't just die for your sins, but he rose for your justification, which means you're justified in trusting him because you rose with him. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he, er, he eternally disarmed the destructive weapons of sin, death, Hell and the grave. For sin could not tempt him, death could not defeat him, hell could not keep him, and the grave could not hold him. Colossians says this, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So when Jesus rose from the grave, Paul said in Colossians that he actually displayed to all the rulers and authorities, You can't hold me. I'm alive. Hey, hey. Remember me? In other words, when he rose from the grave, he didn't just beat death. He actually beat, he actually beat every principality and power that was trying to hold him in the grave. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 23, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, Bill was mentioning this principle this morning, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says that God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in what God made, so that everybody is without excuse. How many know that God, what God made speaks about God? When you take a seed, and you take, let's say an apple seed, you take an apple seed, you put it in your wallet, your pocket, how many understand you can carry that seed around forever, it's biologically dead. You put it on a microscope, and you can see no life in it. But you take that seed, and you plant it in the ground. And what happens? It begins to germinate. It begins to grow. And soon, it grows an apple tree with lots of apples and lots more death life. How I many know the cycle of life is that you die and you germinate? <laughs> the cycle of life is that you die and you germinate, and when you germinate, you, what everybody else is, thinks is death is actually just germination. <laughs> Jesus is like, every time Jesus talked about a dead person, he goes, Lazarus is sleeping. They're like, oh, he'll wake up then. He goes, oh no, you're not understanding. He's dead. But how many know Jesus doesn't look at death the same way? Because for Jesus, when you plant a seed in Jesus, you're not, die, you're not dead, you're just germinating. Every time, every time you see a seed in the ground, it speaks of a resurrection. No, you're not getting this. When you go out and you see the blade of grass, you go, that thing had to die so it could be green. When you see a tree... That goes, that tree had to be, it had to actually first completely die, be dried out. It had to be completely dead. You put that seed in the ground and it grew. What's it saying? What I'm getting at is this, is creation itself says he's going to live. (laughs) For thousands of years before before the cross, creation was preaching the crucifixion. I'm saying Creation itself was telling the crucifixion story. (laughs) Creation was saying, hey, you know how things come to life? You have to put them in the ground. You have to kill them first. And when they rise from the dead, they bear what? Much fruit. (laughs) How many understand that what you think is dying, if you put it in Christ, it's just germinating? Romans chapter 6. Would you turn there with me? Paul makes this great case, and let me just pause for a minute. If you read Romans, how many of you like read a chapter or two, uh, or two a, a day or a week or whatever? You kind of do a chapter at a time is my point. If you read the book of Romans, to actually understand the book of Romans, you have to read the entire book of Romans in one sitting. Now you can go back and read chapter at a time, but if you read, for instance, chapter 7 of Romans without reading chapter 6 and 8, you actually have no idea what chapter 7 means. So this, this was a progressive letter. Now, not all, the gospel, not, I'm sorry, not all the epistles are like this, but you can't really read one chapter of Romans unless you understand the overview of Romans. So for five chapters, Paul is talking about, he's contrasting law and grace, and he's basically saying that you were saved by grace, that grace actually empowered you to have power over sin, that grace delivered you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In other words, you weren't just saved by grace, you were actually empowered by grace. Like, grace is actually the currency of heaven. If I said to you, Bill is rich, you would think he has a lot of money. 
But in heaven, wealth is measured in the currency of grace. So he lavished, Ephesians 1, he lavished grace on us. Are you with me? So Paul makes this great case for grace, and he goes, listen, where sin abounds, the end of chapter 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. In other words, it doesn't matter how deep you fall, how far you are from God, how bad what you did is. There's always grace. And the further you are away from God and the more grace you need, the more grace that comes to you. So where sin abounds, Paul's making a case, nobody's too far from grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I heard Bill preach many years ago that if that's true, then the cities that have the most sin have the most chance at grace. And that's Paul's point. But then he thought, oh, wait, it sounds like I'm saying you should sin so you can get more grace. Because that's the case he made for five chapters. And if he didn't have a chapter six, you could actually conclude, well, we should go do something wrong because who doesn't want grace? So he opens chapter six with this. And remember, there was no chapter break. So the next thought, after he makes this great five chapter case for grace, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? that grace may increase. That's the conclusion of five chapters. I'm going to go do some sinning so I can get me some power. And his answer is profound. May it never be. Shall we sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall those who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that we... So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified. Everybody say crucified. With him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Everybody say done away with. So that we are no longer slaves to sin. Everybody say we're no longer slaves to sin. For he who died is free from sin. For now, for now we have died with Christ. We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having raised, been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is his master. For death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. In the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider. Everyone, think of it like this. Everyone, consider it. Think of it like this. Think of yourself, dead to sin, but alive to Christ. What's the point? The point is that when Jesus died on the cross, how many know the reason why Christians don't sin is because they're dead? If you went over the graveyard, would you think anyone's sinning in there? No, because they're all dead. And Paul said, how can you sin so grace would abound when dead people can't sin? How many know when you received Jesus Christ, the old man died. He didn't. He didn't modify him. He didn't counsel him. He killed him. And so baptism, how many know that Easter, every day is Easter for believers? Because when we received Jesus Christ, how many know, and we got baptized? See, baptism is not a symbolic act. You know a symbolic act? We do symbolic acts to remember the works of the Lord. When the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, remember they set up some stones. Why did the stones set up? Well, that's a good question. 
Then Moses, God said to Moses, why, why do you want me to set up stones? So when your children say, why are those stones there? You can say, oh, well, the Lord, could you, glad you asked. The Lord divided the, the, the river here, or the Red Sea there, da-da-da. In other words, it became a conversation piece. It was an act of remembrance. But how many know baptism is not a symbolic act? Baptism is a prophetic act. You remember Naaman the leper? He goes to see Elisha and t- because he's covered with leprosy and he's heard that there's a prophet in Israel that can heal leprosy. He comes to the door of his tent. Gehazi goes out, the servant of Elisha. He says, hey, go wash and dunk in the river Jordan seven times. You'll be well. The guy's like, he's mad. He thought that, <laughs> the Bible says he thought he was going to come out and wave his hands, you know, kind of Benny Hinnish. I love Benny, by the way. And they, he marches off with his entourage, mad, feeling dishonored. In fact, really dishonored that Elijah didn't, Elisha didn't even come out himself. And his servant says, hey, why don't you just, boss, I got an idea. Why don't you just dip seven times? What's the worst that could happen? You get wet. They go to the Jordan River. They dip seven times. You know the story. He comes out the seventh time. He comes out. He's free from leprosy. Why? Not because there's magic in the water. There's magic in obedience. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. You understand that when you, unless you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you can't be his disciple. But how many know Jesus is going somewhere? He's died once and for all. You take up your cross and you follow him where? To the baptismal tank. What's going to happen there? The old man's going to die. We put you under the water. How many know this is a two-part prophetic act? We put you under the water. What's the first part? You're dead. That took care of your sin. But how many know it didn't give you new life? You're under that water, and what are you doing? You're germinating. (laughs) Some of you need to germinate a little longer. You're germinating. But how many know the most powerful part of the prophetic act is not the dunking? It's raising you up. Because when we rose you up, from, we, it, listen, when we pulled you out of the water, it's a prophetic act that not only did you die with Christ, that's awesome because that dealt with your sin, but you're also, whoa, living with him. And all of a sudden, everything you do is germinating. If you ever got something dead in your life, how many know Christ didn't just die for your sins? He is the resurrection in life. When he comes to the tomb, Lazarus was four days dead, and Martha comes out mad at Jesus because she called for him two days ago. And it said, when, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited two extra days. Why? Because Jesus knows about germination. He didn't want Lazarus to have a modified life. He wanted Lazarus to have a new life. So he makes sure he's dead when they get there. Right? And Martha comes out to meet him. She hears Jesus is coming, but he's two days late. She marches out. Injustice. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Ah. <laughs> Tell Mary to serve me. Tell Mary to help. Tell my. Rah, rah. This is Martha. Some of you are like this. It's about justice. It's about being first at the cross. It's about running to the tomb. It's about Jesus loves me. Nobody else. And Jesus says to Martha, who's a little ticked, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, even if you die, 
you'll live again. Do you believe this? Listen, I love her comment. I have already believed this. Jesus, I love the story. Jesus gets to the tomb. They're all weeping. He's going to raise Lazarus in four minutes and 58 seconds. That's my idea. He sees everybody weeping, especially Mary, because Mary cries about everything. You should do a study on Martha and Mary. I have. Martha's always mad. Mary's always crying. Mary's weeping. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus in just a few minutes. We all know the end of the story. They don't know the end of the story, but we know the end of the story. And it says this. One of the most profound statements in the New Testament is, Jesus wept. I'm not being funny. He wept. Why? Because Jesus isn't just trying to raise your dead. He's also stepping into your pain. See, compassion. Jesus was always moved with compassion. Before Jesus does a mighty work, he wept over it. Why? Because he wanted to feel the pain. See, in America, especially even in our church sometimes, it's like we're trying to, sometimes we think it's our job to get people out of pain. But how many know if you mourn with those who mourn, then you get to rejoice with those who rejoice. Jesus isn't afraid of death, but he's also not afraid of pain. Jesus stepped into their pain, wept with them and said, all right, now I'm going to do this. Lazarus come forth, and the Bible says that Lazarus came forth, and he was alive, but bound. And Jesus said to the believers, unbind him. How many know sometimes people are resurrected, but they're still bound? How many know if you have a relationship with the Lord, you're resurrected, but if you don't have a relationship with the body, you're still bound? You know, you can have a relationship with the head, but how many know Jesus wants you to have a relationship with all of him? You rise from the dead. The Lord is my shepherd. If you don't get in fellowship, you are bound. You're just walking. You're, you're a, I was going to say walking dead man. No, you're not. You're a bound live man. It's better than a walking dead person, but it's still not all the freedom God has for you. That's a good word right there. <laughs> Signs of resurrection life. How many know when you received Jesus Christ, you died 47 times in the book of Romans. Dead, dead, crucified, died. It's no longer right. It's dead. You're dead. The old man died. Stop talking to him. Stop grave sucking. We're like, Bethel talks about grave sucking. We do. We tell people, stop grave sucking. Stop going to the old man and raising him from the dead. Let him die. He's dead. It's over. Real quick, five things that you know that you rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. How many know you don't have any skeletons in your closet? Number two, your grave clothes stay in the tomb. You put on Christ. Romans 12, verse 13 and 14. Put on Christ. Take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. Number three, your friends rose with you. You were in fellowship with other people who are also alive. You don't just hang around with dead people. <laughs> Number four, other people tell your stories. You have some testimonies. And your last great testimony wasn't like when you got saved 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> number five, you help people who refuse to believe like Thomas did. And number six, you get along with people you used to not like. That's a big one right there. I want to pray for you this morning. 
I feel like the Lord wants to cause things that are dying in your life to die. So they can live. I believe germination is the word of the Lord this morning. That there are things in our life, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's your body, maybe it's your health. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Then you're in here this morning. On Easter Sunday, what are the chances? And you may have come here for one reason. You're like, oh, my son invited me. Oh, it's my, my daughter. Some family member. You're here to honor a family member. And by the way, that's great. But I'd propose that God had another reason. Yes, in plain English, you've been tricked. <laughs> that Jesus would like to take everything in your life that's dead and make it alive. He'd like you to take everything you've been carrying around in your pocket like this dead seed and he'd like you to plant it in Christ and watch it alive. Somebody in here, you haven't seen your daughter for three years. That relationship's dead. If you plant it in Christ, it'll come back and bear 30, 60, and 100 full. See, that's not hard to think of. You have a seed, you plant it in the ground, it grows an apple tree. How many seeds are on an apple tree? a whole lot more than the one seed you planted. You're like, I don't want to give this up. No, no, you're going to give this up, but you're going to get back an apple tree. Sometimes we're like struggling. I don't want to give this seed up. Oh my God, I love this thing. I love this thing. Plant it and wait a little while and you'll have a tree that bears a whole bunch more seeds. And if you love the seeds, you could just carry them all around with you. This morning, if you're in a place where you have something that's dead in your life and you want to see it raised from the dead, I want just you to stand. Could I have our team come to the front, please, our, our ministry team, come. Would you stand? Just only people I want standing are the people coming to the front for ministry and the people who are saying, there's something dead in my life. It might be your life. You're like... I'm in trouble. I, I need the Lord. It might be a relationship. It might be you, there's somebody here you went through a divorce and you're just going through a ton of pain. We went through, my, my son went through a divorce in this church eight years ago and we understand the pain of that. And we've seen a beautiful resurrection in his life and the life of our grandchildren. Whatever it is right now, when I was talking, I felt the Holy Spirit whispering in the ears of many people. If that was you, I just want you to stand. But what are people going to think? Dude, forget what people are going to think. It doesn't matter what people think. It only matters what God thinks. Why do I have to stand? Remember, Naaman, the leper, had a simple thing to do. Dip seven times in the river. You're like, well, can I get it sitting down? I'd propose to you that standing is your act of faith. Would you put your hand on your heart? I want you just to pray out loud, those of you that are standing. Just say, Father, I have this area of death in my life. And I plant it in Jesus. Expecting a resurrection. I pray right now that you would take this thing, my life, my heart, the things that concern me. And that I want to take them and give them to you. And I'm asking you 
to be the Savior of these things and also the Lord. And Lord, I plant these things in your garden expecting that you are going to cause them to bring, bring forth fruit in Jesus' name. And I give my entire life to you to follow you, to love you, to serve you with all my heart. Lord, I turn my back on every other thing, on anything that seems bigger than you. I turn my back on those things. And I honor only you with all of my life, in everything I do, in every, every, everything I am, with every word I speak, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we all stand now? Just, can we just love on those people? Just give us, let's give them a hand. Tom's going to come in just a minute for, if you need prayer. What I'd like to have happen is if you were receiving Jesus this morning or you were, or you were reconnecting with Jesus, like you've walked away for a season, we would really like to pray with you. We really would like to take five minutes before you walk out these doors and just pray with you for a great start in this new life of yours. So if those of you uh, that received Jesus could just begin to come forward, if you need a miracle anywhere in your life, this team right here, this is a miracle team. We see miracles, truly true miracles, every single week, and we'd like you to be a partaker of those miracles. So please come forward, and uh, Tom's going to come. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Hold your spot for just a second there. So good. The scripture says if we confess Christ before men, God will confess us before heaven and the angels before the Father. And so what he was saying there was just so powerful about coming up and just letting somebody pray for you. And, you know, right over here, we're going to have our freedom banner, our freedom team. This banner is going to go up in just a second. And these guys every week, they pray for people to get saved. And, and it's really powerful. But one of the greatest things that can happen after you come forward to Christ and, and receive Jesus in your life is you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. God wants to endue you with power and give you a prayer language. And you walk out of here never the same again. And so, you know, if you're here today and you gave your life to Christ... Just when he was praying, if, if that was you, just raise your hand up. Or maybe you were away from God and you just came back and you said, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus from this day forward. If that's you, just raise your hand up. Come on, right over there. I see that hand. Right over there. Come on. So good. Awesome. You guys that raise your hand and anybody else, just come forward right over here to my right, your left. And uh, Jim's going to put his hand up. These guys are going to pray with you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and get you welcomed into the body. So go ahead and begin to move even now as everybody else moves. Bless you guys. Happy Easter. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on our website, Bethel.com you can find our pastor's itineraries who may be visiting a place near you. Bill Johnson will be in Pasadena, California, April 18th through the 19th. And Danny Silk will be in Pickerington, Ohio, April 21st through the 23rd. Now we want to hear from you. If you have any prayer requests, you can email them to pastor at Bethel.tv. Our team would love to pray for you. And be sure to send us your testimonies as well. 
we've recently heard a testimony from a Bethel team ministering in Guatemala. A teenage girl was worshiping and spontaneously felt the tumor in her breast disintegrate. She told the ministry team, who then shared her testimony, and six people came forward who also had tumors. The team directed the children to release healing, and every single tumor that could be physically felt dissolved by the power of Jesus. We release the testimony of the goodness of God over you and pray that you would experience His tangible love that makes all things new. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.